1: It's that's the second time it's gone on.
2: They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those guys. Those,
3: those and I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good
2: right. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever.
0: Hello and welcome to this Easter Monday edition of the Irish Times Second Captains podcast. Oh my devit, Kieran Murphy and Ken Erdie are all here. Hi guys.
2: Hello, Hello there.
0: And we come with great news. The death of Gaelic football has been greatly exaggerated. To borrow a phrase, Murphy. it turns out there may have been a slight overreaction. Reports
4: of the demise of Gaelic football have been exaggerated. Uh,
0: yeah, whatever. It turns out there may have been a slight overreaction to last week's game between Dublin and Derry. Some decent stuff played out yesterday on the final day of the Allianz uh, Leagues.
4: More than decent, done. More than decent Very decent A festival of football A carnival of uh, sporting excellence uh, Played out across all four divisions so I'm confident in saying that
0: Yeah, there wasn't one bad game Over the four divisions 16 I'm sure. games Sure, there's no footage in most of them but mm. 16 games
4: Each one with their own Compelling narrative on
0: The live TG Carr games uh, Are the ones well, Certainly the tyrone Kerry game Was genuinely Really good, Curry really Theron. exciting. Without exactly being all out attack, I think the days of two all out attacking teams might be gone. But that doesn't necessarily mean yeah, that good games. Uh,
4: well, two two games had my attention as they unfolded live: Kerry against Tyrone and Galway against Kildare. Uh, listening to Galway FM on uh, uh, online mm-hmm. for Galway against uh, Kildare, three twelve to one twelve. Uh, you're telling me? Are you not entertained, uh, people at Jube Stadium? Uh, Kerry Tyrone was and we'll talk about it with Anthony was and Oshimi McConville in uh, in a few minutes but um yeah i mean it was it was quite similar in many ways to the death of football last week uh, just with added people who can kick the ball over the bar turns out the one thing that makes a game just die just completely die on its not feet not having
2: any points
4: oh man we'll we'll basically we'll excuse any any amount of defensive play or any amount of aimless defensive hand passing. If at the end of that move someone kicks the ball over the bar, so I mean, I th- I think that it, it the game when boiled down to its component parts, as long as there's a score every couple of minutes to keep us entertained, what happens in between the scores? We we are we're, we're cool with that. It's it's absolutely fine. It's the, not a big issue.
0: Not about at all about excitement levels in the Premier League. and it was raining spectacular goals the weekend. Oh, unbelievable!
2: I I've. Literally never seen anything like it.
4: A <laughs> carnival of sporting excellence. Yeah, uh, th-
2: There have uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of very good goals. All right, Wayne Rooney, of course, a meaty strike into the top corner. Charlie Adam, an even meatier one. Bobby Zamore. with a feather touch, uh, in off the crossbar. Jermaine Defoe, a goal so good that Tim Crewe, the Newcastle goalkeeper, congratulated him on it, um, and is now a hate figure. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Some of the less intelligent Newcastle United fans who don't think it's appropriate for their goalkeeper, even once he gets into the tunnel, remember the traditional area in which you can do all the unacceptable things that you can't do out in the stadium. Cruel uh, in the tunnel, sort of cuffed uh, Jermaine Defoe on the back of the head in a sort of bloody good goal, that kind of a way. And uh, This uh, is at
0: halftime, yeah. uh, which is what's causing people the issue. But as you say... Even if that was on the field, actually, I, I don't, the guys score, it, 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 it's I think it's very different from swapping jerseys at halftime, for example. Swapping jerseys at halftime seems to me to be an indication that your mind is elsewhere. It's something that you should be doing after the game. You're getting it done now. You're getting this really good player's jersey. Whereas it was just an innocuous moment mm. between Gesture two players. Just well done. Human respect. Yeah. I don't think it was going to stop Tim focusing on trying to save some shots in the second half.
2: No, uh, and Defoe actually was seemed in a slightly strange, emotional state. He's overcome. Yeah, he he really was. Um, I mean, uh, I suppose the you know to score a goal like that in a game like that and to see the reaction from the supporters is always going to be stirring in a way. But you could see that there was a lot there with Defoe. He's obviously been through a bad spell in his career. I mean, he moved to Toronto. It was a complete disaster. Um, his last couple of moves have not gone well. And to sort of come back and, um, you know, resurrected on in a sense... Uh, Jermaine Defoe is a Premier League force. And you can see the emotional effect Mm -hmm. that it had. A lot
0: of those great goals went in to one particular team's net. though.
2: A lot of the goals goals flew into the net being guarded by Liverpool FC goalkeeper Simon Mignolet. Uh, Was he to blame for any of them? I don't think so. You could argue that he was to blame for a couple of them. Um, Maybe well maybe Mesut Ozil did score a free kick into the side that megan was standing on that's always a, a little questionable and then alexis Sanche, uh, sanchez did uh, whack one in directly over his head
4: and while we're at it uh, remember uh, gary Neville's, at first extraordinarily uh, at first feeling extraordinarily unfair criticism of menule for the jagielka goal in the russian oh, yeah. derby where he just said Mignolet just didn't move his feet at all.
2: Mignolet, for some reason, is 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 bent almost double and is peering out of the play from a position his head is down between his ankles as he mm-hmm. as he peers peers up the pitch of the play. And Neville's point was that that's not necessarily the most limber starting position for a goalkeeper who may, without you know much advance warning, have to spring high, mm-hmm. low, left, right. You know, just lift the head a little bit from from out uh, from between your ankles, and maybe that would give you a better chance of getting to those higher shots. Yeah,
4: I just thought was Giroud's goal. Instead of mini move, shifting his feet like you see goalkeepers do, you sh- move your feet and then dive. He just dived. <laughs> I can't
0: believe between the two of you, you found fault in three of with the goalkeeper in three of those ridiculous Arsenal goals. Well, Ozil's they were brilliant goals. Ozos is is the only one that I'm going to take any criticism for the, for. Uh, I
2: would say the Sanchez goal, I would let him off the Sanchez goal.
0: Yeah, because did you see how it was struck? As Sanchez went to hit it, it, it bobbled up a little bit, yeah, which yeah, actually yeah. benefited Sanchez. Uh, he, it turned into a he, volley. It turned into this dipping volley over the head of the goalkeeper. There is... We were talking about last week how a goalkeeper getting caught at the near post is the greatest crime ever. Another one, like you say, is to get caught with one that's essentially straight at you. But mm-hmm. I, don't know, I don't think you can cover every inch of the goal. No, I, like
2: that. I, I think I would I would let him off that one. Um, the Giroud one, though, I have to say, wasn't really in the corner, was it?
4: No, see.
2: He kind of hammered. I mean, Giroud did hit that ball extremely sweetly. And uh, and I, I wouldn't necessarily say is the first to blame. I mean, there was Moreno who sort of who ran away from Giroud and mm. ushered him ushered him inside onto his left foot just as he does the first goal. Might be easier for you goal. if, you, if, if you, you you might, you're quite left-footed. You might want to hit that one on your yeah. left foot. Uh, so And then, and then Giroud hammered it, but, but again, almost into the sort of quite central. I mean, the, the ball is obviously travelling in that diagonal, maybe with a bit of outside swerve, but it wasn't really in the corner.
0: I'm going to watch these goals again before the football podcast later and just see,
2: just see if I've gone
0: completely insane here by uh by crediting the strikers with all these amazing goals rather than, Are you gonna blame the goalkeeper for Charlie Adams? No listen, we'll get on we'll get on to all that. Uh just,
2: no, no Jose didn't blame the even even well, he wasn't like he's necessarily gonna savage his own goalkeeper for conceding one of the best goals uh scored at Stanford Bridge but uh, he blamed the lack of pressing in midfield. Someone so, should have got it into Charlie Adams' face on and stopped him scoring from 66 yards.
0: Some exciting stuff played at the Aviva on Saturday. Unfortunately, most of it was played by Bath. Uh, although Leinster are through. you should probably remember that Simon uh, has popped over to us. They're through, Simon. But there is a sense of unease about how close Leinster came to being knocked out.
5: Yeah, it was a funny day. I mean, 44,000 people there, sunny weather, Easter weekend... Leinster just went through to our a, a, a European semi-final and yet at the end it was quite flat. The players were obviously relieved but there was a little bit of luck at the end. Um, but I think maybe the fact that the performance got worse, the fact that Bath came more and more into it um, and the fact that you're playing Toulon next away because you want to come away from these games with a bit of hope but I suppose supporters were walking away thinking... Is there any way we can be too long? Forty-four
0: thousand seemed a bit of a generous interpretation yeah. of the amount there, because I was in it's the, the usual season ticket holders yeah, plus the
5: people who arrive.
0: I was in the lower east stand, and even from where I was, I could see quite a few empty seats in parts of the stadium. And I was told that above me in the upper east stand there were tons of empty seats. So for them to come up, there's the forty-four thousand figure—it's the way a lot of sporting organisations do this. Maybe they're season tickets sold or whatever it might be, and, and they all get. Added in there, but yeah, there was a, a flat sense around around the whole thing. But uh, Leinster, Part,
5: partially due to Leinster winning so much, I think in recent years, uh, and Ireland winning, and
0: Ireland and yeah, this yeah, being a drop off in relative terms, and expecting to win the game probably as well. Jerry Thornley is with us. Jerry, thanks very much for making it in on the bank uh, all
3: Easy, no traffic around. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice straight, straight drive in for you, Matt O'Connor. You described his demeanour as bullish. Yeah, uh, mm. on, in Saturday's press conference, he wasn't having much truck with the idea that Leinster were lucky or that they didn't perform to
3: their let no, me. his mentality would be very much 18-15 um, beforehand offered it yeah, take it it's a cup quarter-final get through the semi-finals um, every team in um, the other team in Ireland Wales, Scotland, Italy and all Barisari's in England would swap places with them and that's his viewpoint they're in the semi-finals it doesn't matter how you get there um, the natives of course would be a bit more restless than that the, um, they would be relieved but more restless than that and there's a clear disgust to how Leinster are playing and you'd have to say that no way on earth will they reproduce that level of performance would that be good enough to beat Toulon and start velodrome
0: He seems to think I said that the idea that Leinster have lost what they used to have is a, a press idea but as you mentioned there the, the natives being restless I, I think that's a, probably not a fair point from him in that you got the sense at the ground on Saturday that nobody was particularly overjoyed with what they were seeing it was very tense for everybody and fans were happy to get through but I think it's a, probably a little bit unfair to say oh it's just something that journalists are writing they were not as good as we
3: used to be no there's clearly a discontent out there amongst um, a huge sway of Leinster fans who you could say have been spoilt over the years and uh, we would want to look their fellow Munster fans in the eye and say they're really unhappy with how things have panned out Munster would gladly swap places with them so would Ulster but, yeah, the manner, this is the third time in seven games that Lenster have been indebted to Ian Madigan's right boot for all their points. Um, that would have been unheard, unheard of in the Joe Schmidt era. I mean, there was a lot of ambition to their game. A lot of their breakdown work was good. Their lineup variations were good. There were some good spot moves. Um, their scrum was excellent. Um, Madigan's kicking was superb. And they moved the ball wide plenty of times. And they went through some phases and whatever. But. Again, you you compare and contrast with the Leinster old and there's no better way than just comparing and contrast with the first half performance in Clermont. Now, admittedly, that's at the highest standard so far. That was probably the best 40 minutes of rugby we've seen in Europe this season. To those of us who were there um, in Clermont when they beat Munster, it was no surprise. That could easily be done to Munster. It's a miracle how Munster got out of that ground with a bonus point defeat. Because Clermont said about them the very same way. Nick Abandon is just a player reborn. He's been alive since it's to go from everywhere. All their backs have. They play their their death... Their depth and width, and most of all, the accuracy of their passing. A small little thing, I don't mean to pick an Ian Madigan, but when that time when Zane Kirsten is talking into the corner, if you go back two passes, it's a really good move. It might just be on, but Madigan's pass goes quite high to Rob Carney. You didn't see that happening with Claremont. Every pass was right out in front of the player, and they didn't have to break stride. And it was that speed on the ball, admittedly off all go-forward ball, that so stretched Northampton and, and meant that, you know, with their array of talented runners, I mean, Wesley Fafan and so forth, you wouldn't, make, wouldn't believe it's the same player that plays for France and the Six Nations, but there you go. And it's just, it's hard to see how Leinster can do what Munster failed to do. It's three of the four semi finals back again for the third year in a row. The effectively Leinster have exchanged places with Munster, but the worrying thing is you think back a year ago as well, and Leinster went to turn on the quarter finals with a distinct lack of ambition. And Wasps showed yesterday that the only way you have a hope of beating Toulon in their own lair, and you have a better chance in Marseille than you do have in the Felix Mayol, is if you go wide and you have a go-off counter-attack, you have a go-off turnover ball. The more broken, the more you move around that big juggernaut of a pack, the better, because they're so efficient at the breakdown with Masoic or Godse and Armitage. You've got to really move them wide and have a go like Wasps did, and you can get some joy. But Leinster are just not playing that kind of accuracy, that, that kind of accuracy to do that at the moment.
5: Jerry Lencer have had a load of injuries this year. They've mm-hmm. obviously lost more players than probably any other team at the top level to the international game. Um, Matt O'Connor has come out with a few excuses over the course of the year and some have rung a little hollow, some have been pretty accurate. But given last year he was betting himself in, Joe Schmidt had such a strong presence, and identity with the team and he still won the league at the end of it. So it was sort of like a, seen as a par performance by Lencer's incredibly high standards last season. Then this year... Like I say, they've all the players in and out and and a few excuses here and there. But then he gets uh, a lot of players from the Irish team who've just come off the back of their second successive championship. Was this the game to judge Matt O'Connor on? Could we finally say, right, this is what he's had the players. He's got it all settled in. He's been here a long time now. Is this Matt O'Connor? Is this how Leinster play under Matt O'Connor?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think you've got to come a little bit more slack than that. I mean, it was Sean O'Brien's second game of the season. It was a bunch of them coming back for the first time in two months. Only two weeks after the conclusion of the Six Nations. Joe Schmidt always, and Michael Checker before him always had a three-week break. I think that's invaluable. You get one extra interpro pro under your belt, usually against Munster. I think it primes you so much more for Europe. I think they were undercooked as a result. But they've got problems and got issues that go beyond lack of match practice and aren't, don't seem like they're going to be resolved in the next two weeks the one thing you would have thought was an identity factor under Matt O'Connor was their defence Simon and in the last two home games they've missed 56 tackles 56 tackles in two games mm. and conceded six tries it's the disorganisation um, the, you know, I wrote this morning. There's more dog legs than you see in a kennel. It's just the, the gaps for George Ford to exploit were extraordinary for a team like Leinster. The one thing that Matt O'Connor's Leinster had last season was actually an improved defence. Um, that performance in the semi final and the final of the Pro 12, they kept their try line intact both times you know, against Glasgow in the final four tries to nil. That that was the the peak of the of them of their of their season last year, and it looked like a building block for something like that might follow. But their defence has regressed. And it's, it's a lack of organisation. Sometimes there was lack of pillars there, and most of all, there was an extraordinary number of missed tackles. And they've got there primarily through their their sheer desire, maybe a little bit of experience and seeing out an end game and Madigan's boot. But it you would have thought they would, they're capable of more than that. I don't know. Maybe you could see. Them two weeks time it's a bit more of a free shot from them they can't have a swing from a hip, but they're going to have to have a real go and play with a way more ambition than they did in the quarter final and it's hard to see where that's coming from based on what we've seen so far there's an argument and I haven't seen every single game Leinster have played
5: this year but I've probably seen the highlights of the ones I didn't see properly that they haven't actually played well they haven't played well once or they haven't certainly played to their potential of the players that they've got in the field um, like If if last year was a league win and was sort of a continuation on of some of the good things from Joe Schmidt, you would have to say this year is a regression. And you can say a a semi-final in the European competition, but you have to look at the group they were in. You have to see it was a home quarter-final. Bath are a decent side, but they're not an elite side. And you have to look at the Pro 12. and, And the teams that Leinster have lost to this year include Connacht, who played very well on the night. They lost twice to Munster, outplayed both times. The, a draw with Treviso, they've lost to the Dragons, they've lost to the Scarlets, and they're in real danger of not making the top four. So you can point to a home European semi, but then you can look at all the other evidence.
3: Yeah, and it's a pretty compelling argument when you put it like that. Um, I would have to say there certainly hasn't been a season of progress, even though they've progressed further in Europe, um, because they've regressed in the league. And on balance, it probably hasn't been a season of progress. And yet if they go to Toulon in two weeks' time's time, and win a semi-final, they're in a final of the Heineken Cup. They're 80 minutes away from the final of a European Cup and no other team in Ireland you mentioned Munster Munster would gladly swap places with them you know in terms of Europe okay Munster were in the same group as Claremont and Saris who both made the semi-finals they can point to that but they were well beaten in Europe by Saracens in a way that in a way an embarrassment that has not been heaped upon Leinster or Munster themselves for a very long time and also shipped 60 away to Toulon I don't think that's going to happen to Leinster so I think you've got to keep some level of perspective on this it hasn't been a season of progress for sure stagnation maybe I think part of the problem is the 10-12-13 axis. I really think that's a big part of their problem. Um, they've settled in Gopper as their 10, because they probably don't trust Madigan to run the game from 10. But they don't trust Gopper to do the goal-kicking, so Madigan plays at 12. And then you've got Ben Teo at 13, learning his replying, his really learning the ropes at this level. And they've really missed Darcy and O'Driscoll. I think they've really missed Darcy defensively. And Shane Jennings, but you know, not the force of yore, and Leo Cullen's retard. And you add in the save and Sexton before that, and there's a huge leadership core gone. But the experience... They, there's still enough experience there for them to It's an to incredible team,
5: though. It is. see it lined out. And all you think of is that's almost the Irish team besides 10, 12, 13. But, but Madigan's still there, obviously. Um,
3: there's a lack of accuracy in what they're doing, Simon. they but they've so many. They've so many
5: weapons still. They, you yeah. still look at them and. There's so many Bryan weapons, you say, but
3: I, I must admit, I, w- I went to that match and said it here last week. I didn't think they were going to score tries. And I don't think there's a lot of tries in that team with that 10, 12, 13 axis. I just don't think there is. I don't think it's settled enough. I don't think it's created enough. And I don't think there's an... an and we saw again the weekend, even though there was, the, some of the passing has improved, it's not where it has been before. And certainly their defensive preparation and what Bath were about. You compare how Ireland defended against England and how Leinster defended against Bath. I know comparisons are odious and it's a bit unfair maybe to constantly compare... Leinster of Joe Schmidt to Ireland of Joe Schmidt but there's no doubt that these levels of accuracy from whatever they're doing in the training ground are not being reproduced in the pitch What do they do then for the Toulon game and they've got
0: an interesting game management situation now because they're playing if they're riding high at the top of the Rabo the the Pro 12 it might be fair enough to rest players or do whatever they want but they kind of need to win this game against the Dragons at the weekend and then they've got a, the Highland Cup semi-final the following week is there any scope for experimenting in that game against the Dragons in order to find, a fo- I don't know if there's a hidden formula to actually unlock some of that attacking play for the, for the game right, this game. I Toulon.
3: think that the, the, having the semi-final on Sunday week, that game being arranged for the Sunday rather than the Saturday, is quite significant. It's a small crumb of comfort for Leinster in that it gives them a seven-day turnaround between the Dragons match and the Toulon match rather than a six-day turnaround with the travel day. Had it been a Saturday, I would venture that very few of last Saturday's starting lineup would have pitched up in Newport. Now with the seven day turnaround, I think they will take the view that whoever's nursing Knox, who is ever in any way fatigued, will not travel to Newport. But if players put their hands up and say they're feeling fresh and they need they need more game time, they feel they need and there are a lot of lens to players who are uh, in a little bit of need of game time. I mean, Sean Cronin's had an awful lot of bench duty. Ian Madigan, a lot of bench duty. Jordan Murphy, a lot of bench duty. Sean O'Brien's only just coming back. Keane Healy's only just coming back recently. So there's a lot of Leinster players who need a bit more game time. And I think the fact that there's a seven day turnaround will mean they'll pitch up with a slightly stronger side away to the Dragons than would otherwise have been the case.
0: Is the. We're talking about this 10-12 uh, axis and, and, and 13. Uh, there are only so many variations within that. Uh, one obvious one is to go back and take the risk of putting Ian Madigan in there. He should be confident enough. His, his goal kicking is going brilliantly at the moment. Uh, that blip against Wales aside, is there an argument for right against Dragons? We're just going to put Madigan in there. We're going to change tack again. It hasn't. We, we've clearly come to a decision that this, this hasn't worked so far, but there's no way we're going to Toulon and beating them by playing the way we did against Bath.
5: Yeah, they, it almost definitely won't happen, but yeah. I, I still think Luke Fitzgerald at thirteen. Mm-hmm. I know Joe Schmidt isn't looking at him there and and Matt O'Connor's maybe starting to not look at him or is looking at him more as a winger again. But I just I still think Madigan at ten, Luke Fitzgerald at thirteen, and maybe even Darcy, Darcy at twelve. 12. Yeah, I don't know played so little this year it's hard yeah, to judge Darcy. Absolutely. That's like Leinster and Ireland aren't picking him so it's yeah, impossible. It's to
3: impossible to pick. But you would have thought that his defensive know-how is just what that porous midfield needs as well. It has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Madigan, Darcy, Fitzgerald. I do think Fitzgerald would add more with his footwork. You saw... What individual footwork and running ability does, both with the Clermont backline and the backline. Leinster were always going to miss that once they lost. So Driscoll to a degree, and then we to sacrifice Darcy as well. They lose it even more. There was a hum every time Luke Fitzgerald got the ball on Saturday because he had the footwork to beat players. I don't know where Zane Kirchner's form from last year's final went, but it has vanished. Um, it was good to see Rob Carney hitting the line more and being less of a goalkeeper. He hit the line more in the first 20 minutes on Saturday than he did during the Six Nations. So it was good to see him use offensively like that. Um,
0: Just saw Carney. Actually, sorry to cut across, yeah. it, Jerry, but I read your piece with him uh, in Saturday's paper which in which he talked about his philosophy on fullback play mm. and he used that term goalkeeper. He says he sees it in that way that he has to be secure for everybody else while others might think you're supposed to be attacking the whole time. Mm. He has to A, be secure and B, uh, emit a sort of calm uh, mm-hmm. at, at the back essentially which I thought was quite interesting mm. but as I was reading I
3: was thinking yeah but everyone would love to see uh, more from uh, you because you're, you're such an athlete more in an attacking yeah. sense yeah. It's, it, it's not possible to do both well I thought I thought we did see more of him which was interesting and it did show there well, was a fair bit of ambition in Leinster's performance and he did hit the line more it was his pass away to Zane Kirsten in the right wing that nearly led to a try we haven't seen him do that for Ireland in the Six Nations give a, try, a potential try scoring pass to a winger, and it was good to see him hit the line a few times and I think if you had Madigan at 10 and Darcy to 12, if he's, you know, to organise that defence a bit better, and Luke Fitzgerald's footwork at 13, and then, you know, you can bring in Dave Carney in the wing or whomever, there is more potency about that backline. It's a riskier approach, but they're going to have to take risks. Um, the problem is. Madigan 's kicking out of hand is not as good as gopperts and you 've got to say that Goppert's kicking out of hand last Saturday was excellent and was a long reason much the reason why Leinster enjoyed sixty percent territory as well as possession was goppert 's kicking game Madigan's kicking game out of hand is not as strong as Gopperts and we're having this debate, and we both know it ain't going to happen. It's almost certainly going to be the yeah. same lineup.
5: <laughs> yeah, just staying on the fullback uh, issue. If you look at the ones that were playing at the weekend, Anthony Watson, Nick Abandon, yeah. Alex Good is very good, Bryce Doolan. Like they're they're yeah. real attacking options every yeah. time. And Rob Carney, maybe with Ireland, he has the op because there's so many strengths elsewhere. Maybe he can just be that goalkeeper. But I think with Leinster. He has to come into the line more as he did, and just be more of an option.
3: There were a couple of times I do remember vividly in that quarter final two years ago, where Toulon coughed up the ball in Leinster territory, and they nearly broke away. Um, and they will look; they they were looking to those kind of opportunities. I know two years or last season rather, they're definitely going to have to take them this time around. And the more and, you know, having Luke Fitzgerald on the pitch and Rob Carney willing to have a go. You're right. I mean I revel I love watching Anthony Watson play fullback. I think it's great that Ford picks him at fullback and says, "Yeah, you have a go." There's a moment 9 minutes into the game when Gopper put in a little grubber behind him and he went to retrieve the ball close to the touchline. And his first instinct was dance back in the field and then all his teammates are alive to what this guy can do. And Bannon comes from the left wing and takes this line off his offload and gets away and makes an offload. And Mike Ross finds the ball there in front and falls in it. What's it? What am I doing here? But it was a warning shot that they, these guys will have a go from anywhere. And it's a great philosophy. And Abandon, I mean, he's watching with Claremont, he will just take on anybody inside his own 22. They'll have a quick throw from anywhere inside their own 22 and they will just go for it. And it just shows you how much a coaching philosophy can liberate players. We saw it in the last day of the Six Nations famously, but you compare and contrast, like I said, Wesley Fofana in a Clermont shirt with yeah. a France shirt, and it's hard to believe it's the same players. They don't even look like first cousins. Yeah,
5: I think with, with Leinster, I'm obviously being quite hard on a team who's just, who has just... We are, closing
0: we hard,
3: hard, yeah. in on another Heineken yeah. Cup. Oh exactly, yeah, <laughs>
5: yeah. <all Yeah>. <laughs> <up. laughs> exactly. But I think what we really want to see against Toulon, and everybody knows how good Toulon are, is maybe what Munster have done in the past in those semifinals, where you feel they're absolutely playing to their potential and mm. really throwing a punch. Whereas Leinster last year, you didn't feel that happened. Absolutely. And this year, I don't feel it's happened once. So maybe that's why people are being harder on a team that are still winning quite a lot of games.
3: Yeah, I remember one move in the quarter-final last year when Gopperth went for a long skip pass, I think, because it was a, play, a penalty advantage and they went wide left. And it was the only time they put any air or risk on the ball. I don't know, you know, this Lancet think tank have got to come up with something completely different if they're going to beat Toulon this time around. They're going to have to show way more ambition and take risks because they're not going to beat. Wasps nearly, Wasps rattled Toulon's cage by moving that big juggernaut pack around. Toulouse did the same a week before, one thirty four twenty four 24 in the Félix Mayol. You can take them on. It's not impregnable, least of all in Marseille, but you have to have a go and you have to feel liberated. Something's got to have to change in the mindset. But we saw Things can change in mindsets very quickly. It is more of a free hit. There was a lot of pressure in Leinster to win that game last Saturday in front of 40,000 plus, supposedly, um, um, at home uh, as, a, as a three-time champion against a bad side who regarded this as a free hit, their first quarter final in six years. To a degree, nobody will expect them to beat Toulon away. Um, and it is a bit more of a free hit for them and just hope they have a go. Do you get the sense that there is confidence within the camp? They have to say the right
0: things publicly, but within the camp, do you get the sense that there is confidence that, that they do have that one big performance in them?
3: Yeah. You funny do, enough, yeah? I do. Yeah, from interviewing them, speaking to them, it, there are very few grumblings of discontent within the camp. It's not like the Gariella time. You know what I mean? Nothing remotely like it. And it's been like that all season. And a lot of players do. Really believe in Matt O'Connor and this coaching structure. The one thing that would give you hope is that a, they're there. Sorry, there's two things. They're there for starters, like, which I like, think we've got to keep reminders of Munster, Ulster, Connacht and a load of other teams are not there and we'll swap places with them tomorrow. They're there and they've got a big game experience. That was their 16th knockout win out of 19 in the last five seasons. They've proved they've got a real pedigree in this. It's tough getting away draw, but you know, they, they, they are physically in very good nick. O'Connor was saying that after the game. The players are saying it themselves. They're in physically better nick for whatever reason than they were after the Six Nations a year ago. And, um, you know, I think I'm not too sure. Toulon have the advantage of not having contributed that much to the Six Nations. That was a big advantage of the quarterfinals last year. But they are in physically better nick for whatever reason. And they are fresher. A lot of the players are fresher than they would have been this time a year ago. You, I, know,
5: you know what struck me as well? Just read, Sorry to cut yep. across you on uh, reading your Rob Carney piece. They have an inordinate amount of naturally confident people, maybe even more than during their absolute heyday under Joe Schmidt. If we're talking about Rob Carney, Luke Fitzgerald, Sean O'Brien, Jamie Heaslip, Sean Crony, Madigan, just fellas who, even when their form is dipping, the one thing that doesn't go is their confidence. Mm. And that would be the main reason I'd be confident that they might pull out something.
3: Yeah, yeah. And they, you know... there is a big, big game in a lot of these players. I mean, you're right. You look at the quality of players they have. Keen Healy, Sean O'Brien, these will be Lions test starters. Jamie Heesup, Lions test starters. Um, uh, Luke Fitzgerald, I mean, they've got potency. Rob Kearney Lions test starter. There's a lot of quality in this lineup, and they've got a good bench. You know, you've got Redden and Boss still playing good rugby at scrum half. If they go there, and they're accurate, way more accurate. You, you worry, though, where they're going to find this defensive structure and organisation stop all these missed first-up tackles. Like I said, six tries conceded and 56 missed tackles in back-to-back home games. It's absolutely extraordinary. Yep, yeah. Jerry,
0: great to have you in as always. Thanks a million. Cheers.
3: He's trying to get a break. Watch it go right back to the back. The tie wore it up. Yeah. And wore it a And got it back. Less than 10 seconds in the round. And he's going to survive the round.
6: This should be the round of the century.
2: Majority decision. Irish Mickey. Whoa.
0: Whoa. Just to go back on Matt O'Connor's bullishness, Simon. After the game, he says, "Leinster." He, I, I mentioned that point where he said, "Look, it's you guys who are saying that we're not the power we used to be." If you ask teams we play against, he said, "If you ask anybody we're playing against, they'd have a fair bit of a bit a fair bit of fear in their changing room prior to the game." There's a fair bit of fear when you play, and then he starts naming all the. Leinster players there would you say that's true would Toulon be particularly fearful of those Leinster guys there are some really big names as Jerry mentioned this guy a lot of Lions test starters a lot of Six Nations champions in there
5: I think most teams there would still be some fear factor with Leinster because it is so recent that they've been successful and they did win the league last year as we keep saying but Toulon Really, it's full of World Cup winners. I'd say of any team, actually, they would be the ones least cared by any opposition. Leinster not being any different. It's just when you look at it, Backy's both uh, Ali Williams, all these guys. I, I, I don't think there'd be any fear factor. Plus, they haven't lost a European
0: game at home. All right, thanks, Simon. Coming up in the Irish Times Second Captains Football Podcast.
3: That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, yeah, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You well, don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'd you know well, like to stay alive for six right days. I'd say it to you, folks, I'll say it to oh, you now. I'm down to and we'll see them,
6: won't What you doing down here? you show me, man.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're talking about Gaelic football being, you know, dying, and obviously Leinster doing their best to kill rugby uh, with what they've been up to over the last little while. But what about association football, Owen? Is that also at death's door? Well, no.
4: Doctor Early checks its pulse.
2: Poisoned by, <laughs> poisoned by money, uh, filthy lucre uh, circulating in the in the veins, clogging uh, the arteries of the beautiful game. Uh, Robert Lewandowski uh, scoring the winning goal away to Borussia Dortmund, burying them um, slightly painful. Real Madrid winning by nine goals to <laughs> one. <laughs> nine one. Just a five for Ronaldo. Five uh, Ronaldo goals, although Bale did score the first. Um, Raheem Sterling, Owen. Raheem Sterling. You know, everywhere you look, you see another another sad story of uh, of money, the pollution that money's causing the game. We won't really be talking about those things, but, um, uh, I mean, we may <laughs> touch on some of the issues I've just mentioned in right. the
6: forthcoming football podcast.
0: It sounds good. Let's talk Irish football now. O'Shean and Anthony, thanks very much for making it in the bank holiday,
1: lads. Thanks, Owen. At no problem, Owen. Thank you very much for... <laughs> you yeah. look delighted to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lovely, beautiful, right sunny together. day. Yeah. Yeah. A sunny day. We're the only people in Dublin City Centre <laughs> yeah. at the moment, but it's good
0: to chat. Was it important for Gaelic football to get some good press this weekend?
1: Well, I think everyone is kind of jumping on it, all right, you know. Um, it was. There's been a lot of lot of stuff spoken about, written about during the week, and... Um, the Jarlot Burns comment, of course, didn't help last week, considering his position and in, in in what he's trying to do. That was about the death of football the, yeah, from the, the Dublin Derby game, which was the death of last week, football. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like it was yesterday. It, it's it's a great weekend. It's a great Sunday of sure. football because there was so much involved. Like, I mean, I can't remember there was so many teams that needed to either win or, or whatever for whatever reason you know avoid defeat um, in all yeah, the divisions
4: v- yeah very few disinterested teams actually yeah. uh, across the well certainly the first uh, the Division 1 Division 2 anyway
1: yeah and it's tough I feel sorry for the likes of Loud and some of these boys who who were in Division 3 and Armagh kind of and Fermanagh didn't really put out top class teams mm. and uh, they rolled over and even Cork yesterday against Derry you'd, you'd kind of question that, that, that result but the rest of the games like, I mean, especially in Division 1 and in Division 2, um, there were some fantastic, fantastic games in it.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people would have watched Kerry Tyrone yesterday uh, through the prism of the Dublin Derry game last Saturday night week and said, wow, well, wow, she's two completely different sports. What we actually saw were two teams playing actually very similar setups to what Dublin and Derry played, but with two key differences, I thought. The first was much fewer wides, much better forward play generally, yeah. um, and also a team in possession uh, attacking with a bit of tempo which is what Kerry and Theron both did that instead of this what, what Derry did and I think Derry are the worst defenders really is when they get the ball they have this leisurely stroll up the field mm-hmm. until they get into the offensive area giving your opponents loads and loads of time to set up their defensive screen or whatever every time Kerry got the ball whether it was Killian Young F- Fionn Fitzgerald when he came on did it maybe four or five mm-hmm. times immediately put the head down get the ball up the field as quickly as possible Mm. and it actually makes a huge difference from the point of view of the spectacle in that it it it, it, doesn't it's not this kind of thing where people are killing time or you know it it actually it sucks the life out of a stadium when the halfbacks are hand passing the ball to each other 100 yards from uh, opponents goals Um, and it also just makes it the quicker you get up the field the less time your opponents have to Absolutely. have to have to set up, you know
6: Yeah, no, and I think I think that is the key and I think we touched on that point last week as much as Derry and uh, Dublin was a very, very poor game uh, but it, w- the thing we touched on was the quality of, of the simple basic fundamentals that we yeah. were talking about last week but when defensive football is played and it's played properly, like I said last week you know, the likes of Donegal or even Kerry and Cerrone it it's very watchable, and it's very intriguing and I suppose it's interesting for people now who football has changed completely, and we are never going to go back to where we were. We're never going to go back to fifteen against fifteen, and that's just the way it is. And uh, whether that be intercounty football, whether that be club football, whether it be to be honest now under sixteen, under fourteen football, it's all changed. People are thinking about the game more. I think that's a good thing. <clears throat> we don't need to change the rules. I mean, start going about changing rules. People will coach around rules as they have done in the past. As the black, as the black card has more or less now become irrelevant, really. In the space of, of twelve months, I think. Uh, I was at uh, Dublin and Monaghan yesterday in Clonus, and you're right. It was a brilliant weekend because everybody's in good form. It was buzzing. It was a Massive crowd there from Dublin. there must be ten thousand people in Clonus yesterday, which is. Which is unbelievable for for a league game, um, and the Dubs really and truly got the mojo back a bit yesterday because they seemed to know what they were doing. They seemed to know what they were about. Um, I don't want to go back and spend the whole podcast talking mm. about Dublin again, but one thing about them yesterday, they just played one. Uh, they played John Small as a as a as a sweeper, and he's done a really really good job because he was very defensive minded. And there seemed to be a lot more communication with Dublin yesterday because sometimes Rory O'Carroll would go forward, Small drop back in and take McManus, and vice versa. Uh, they were buzzing yesterday when the at halftime whistle. They absolutely sprinted into the change rooms, and you could see Johnny Cooper calling every one of them in. Desi Moon had a go at Johnny Cooper as soon as the game started, and Cooper stood up to him and he gave him he gave him all he wanted and and that set the tone for the rest of the day. But the dubs are very good, I have to say.
0: We were talking at the start of the league about teams who would probably place more importance on it or might do. And Mayo was the name that cropped up at that stage. Anthony they haven't managed to qualify for the semi-finals now after the a fairly disappointing draw I guess at home to Donegal.
1: Yeah, and first time in a long time they haven't qualified. Um they're probably one of the most consistent teams to qualify for the semi-finals in 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 the league. Again, the question that we've had, and we we asked it at the start of the league, was: well, could they unearth one or two more forwards, two two fellows who would really put their hands up and say, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna be championship style players now," you know, and we're gonna we're gonna take the pressure off O'Connor. But it's still being hyped on O'Connor. And I still even hear Mayo fellas saying, Oh, we're a different team when O'Connor's in the side. And yes, they are a different team. Um, but they needed one or two. Now they got unlucky very, very early on with a few injuries to some of their some of their kind of key forwards that they were hoping I think would, would take on that mantle. But You know, Tom Parsons, Shamie O'Shea, they haven't settled really in midfield. They're throwing different fellas in. Aidan O'Shea's going in. He's coming back out. And that can be done. You know, Kerry kind of sometimes do it with Donny. But I still think they look unsettled to me. Um, And I think Galway and Ruscommon, especially Galway, obviously, because they'll they'll meet Galway. Um, Galway will be sitting there just rubbing their hands now, kind of saying, "Okay, we're coming into a situation where... It's the same old, same old, really, from Mayo. And and when you know that, you can you can obviously gear up for it. Um, and Mayo will be kind of looking at Galway and saying, we don't really, this is an up-and-coming team. A lot of new players with that is set up. Um, Mayo will be there. Connacht, for the first time in a long time, has actually been a bit intriguing. Um, like, Sligo won yesterday, which was an interesting result. I didn't expect it at all. Now, as we say, the, 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 it may have been a false result, but even that kind of throws an extra bit of. Spark yeah, to. I,
4: I think. Um, I, I, I think, in fairness, Sligo have been up and down this league, and if Roscommon have Roscommon will be in the kind of final. Roscommon are uh, an unstoppable juggernaut. Two well, to, promotions successful promotions yeah. is pretty is pretty impressive, and what they have is a couple of really really good forwards, mm. and that's that'll get you a long way. You know, the under twenty ones. I mean, it, it was one of the games of the year, apparently the iconic final on Saturday evening, Roscommon beat goal at 314 to 311. They've retained the under-21 for the first time in, <coughs> I think actually the first time in their history. Yeah. But um, Roscommon have a number of really, really top-class forwards. Uh, Merta, the Smiths, mm. uh, Salon Kilbride is still there as, as a kind of, uh, as an apex in that attack around which these really fast, really good player, young players kind of revolve. And I mean, Division Two was very, very competitive this year. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, six or so, was probably six teams that played throughout the league uh, at pretty much the exact same level. At the end of which, Ross Common uh, get promoted. So, from Mayo's point of view, I think we we did say at the start at the start of this league that they needed a good league uh, under new management. You know, a trophy would have been very handy, yeah. I think, for Holmes and Canelli this year. More so than it was towards the end of James Horns. I mean, when last it, year. It didn't really matter. Last year of all, like, Mayo would couldn't have mattered less, the league, last year. This year, I think, probably they needed a couple of more of better results than what they got. You know, like, losing to Cork last week was a big downer. Um, the heavy defeat to Dublin was a big, big downer. Mm. They've picked a bad time to regress, you know? And, like, Galway you know golwick should really have gotten promoted to be honest you know it it, it you was have a a stat. well it was a strange league for gol in that they they won four games and were 6 points up at halftime, or coming up to halftime, in the three games that they lost, <laughs> which is a pretty ridiculous statistic. Ridiculous you know? that you know this—that yeah. this information is well, available somewhere. Uh, was uh, sorry, uh, was I the only one in the studio listening <laughs> to all of yesterday? Uh, yeah. Sorry, that's uh, uh, completely out of the blue for me. But maybe um, slight bias. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, well, I mean, what it, what? It so Mayo through, are vulnerable, is what you're saying? Ver, uh, yeah. well, I think Real. they're vulnerable, and the fir- they have Galway first up. And Galway will have to look at that as a game now that they that they can win.
6: Well, I don't know if 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 Gauley can beat Mayo, but I think Roscommon are a team who, who we have to start taking seriously and have to look at. And you're right about the thing the thing that uh, you know, not only have they brought players on but they've brought quality forwards on. uh Kevin won four um Ulster under twenty one championships in a row and didn't get one forward, one quality forward out of it. And none of them none of the players on that under-21 team have progressed into the cabin team as a forward. I mean, there's a few defenders and uh, one guy who's, yeah, one guy who's who's touching goal from midfield, but they haven't brought that one quality forward on. Roscommon have, and I think that's the difference between teams who are trying to make that breakthrough and go into Division 1. I think they'll hold their own comfortably enough in Division 1. I think, you know, it's going to be tight for them, but one year of consolidating in Division 1 for the likes of Roscommon, the two teams are probably... Uh, should have won up I thought from Division 2 were Meath and uh, Meath and Roscommon because I thought they, of all the football I've seen this year they're probably two, the two best teams in that division and two teams who are maybe going in the right direction I think it's going to hurt Meath as well the fact that they didn't uh, they didn't get into Division 1 because it's going to be a, it's going to be a serious dogfight that division next year you've got uh, Armagh coming up you've got Fermanagh coming up you've got uh, Derry and, and Throne coming in? down so I mean that leaves for a very very tough division too. But the, the top six teams are way ahead of everybody else anyway. I think, and uh, it's up to it's up to other teams to try and latch on and ca- and uh, and join that group. Roscommon are a team who have the potential to do that. Galway still think are a little bit off. Yeah, what you're saying.
1: I have to disagree, with my good friend here, Shane, on this one. I think, I think that I think the standard is actually starting to converge a bit more this year. Now we will see. Obviously, the, the proof will be in the pudding in, in in the championship. But I definitely think, for the first time in a long time, Division <clears throat> One and Division Two, you could take three or four teams from division 1 and put three or four teams in division 2 up there. You know and you'd kind of go they they'd actually handle themselves okay in there as well. Okay there was was were bad bad in division 2. Kildare were shockingly bad again. Um but Leash improved uh Galway definitely improved. So that Galway was Mead, Meade Cavan down. Of those five, it was really just a lottery. I you know, yeah. mean, so. And me, you
4: know, me, like 20 horrible minutes against Leash cost me. Yeah, and that, and that, yeah. But I, I do take your point as well that say Monaghan, you would have looked at Division One and said, you know, maybe Monaghan might be the team that could get relegated there. Have, they've done very, very well. Draw mm. a line from Monaghan to Mead, Monaghan to Down, Monaghan to Roscommon. You know, you could, you, you know, I, I, think, I think that there is a vulnerability there. I, I, th- I think, to be honest, Dublin and Kerry. And Donegal and Mayo, those four. Everyone, I think those four are still the four teams, you know, in the various provinces that you would look at and say, right, they'll they'll take beating again. But there's there is bubbling under there now. Six or seven teams, yeah. I think, are getting their act together.
1: I think I think it's just getting closer. They've definitely bridged it a little bit more. And Armagh, I think, you know, obviously you can't ignore that. I think they've bridged it a little bit more. The worry I would have, not to get back to harp on about Mayo, but the management team came in, they didn't need, you know, new managers, we've spoken about this, you either clear the, clear the broom and just get rid of everyone, take it in and get right, lads, you know, all players are gone and we're going to bring in a raft. And you say to the old, we're building for the future here, you know, in other words, give me at least eight years here of getting hammerings. <laughs> or you say, I just tinker with what I have, which is really all he needed to do. So he should have said to himself, we're going to win this league. We're going to get some silverware. Mm. We're going to come out all guns blazing and we're going to rip through this league because other teams in the league, i.e. say Dublin and different teams at the start, will be using it for different, as we said, different reasons. And for for them to fail in that sense, I think is is is, is, is very tricky. I definitely
6: think they could have done with an extra game at least because yeah. very, they look to me very unsettled. I don't think they're sure of what their best team is, what the best midfield par- pairing is, whether they play no shape midfield, or will play centre-half forward or full forward. And they've got all those questions now that they need to answer, but they don't have a competitive game in which yeah. to do so. And and the two forwards that
4: they found will probably end up being the overspill from Absolutely. the midfield yeah. logjam that they have four yeah. or five great midfielders, and that's what they're going to do.
0: Anthony, you mentioned, I think it was you mentioned, Westmead and Kildare having a bad league, both getting relegated from Division 2. Tom Cribben, the Westmead manager. I don't know if this is in the managerial playbook for, for, most, for most bosses, but he says the few big lads who should be standing out and leading effing lay down and that's the trouble with this team it's lads who should be leading chest out and showing these young lads where to go they're the ones that's killing this team he's
6: gone he's gone you
0: think so he won't be there for the championship
6: well he will be there for the championship but after that he'll be gone it'll be a short championship and he'll be gone then because it's all over
0: once the manager starts I think so yeah Uh, Tommy
6: Lyons did something similar uh, after we beat Dublin in 2003 uh, in the backdoor game, he yeah. just came out and he lambasted every single one of them, including Stephen Cluxton, who was sent off that day. And uh, from that moment, you knew it was the beginning of the end, and he was gone. The following, the following year. Is that just because yeah. the the players can't?
0: Is there any is there any defence? This is a very uh, devil's you know, advocate, I, I, here, but I, is, is there any defence to say, well, actually, he's he's seen this firsthand. Obviously, the leading players aren't playing for him. He's pro- <clears throat> he's given up on conventional methods of getting them to play clearly and has decided the only way to re- is to light a fire under them and lambast them in public.
6: Absolutely. That, yeah. but is, that, is that ever that, a positive it, thing it, to do? No, I don't think it's a positive thing to do, but I think it's the sign of, of a manager who, as you say, probably has tried everything else, doesn't know where to go with it, and just said, listen, I'm just going to put it out there because <laughs> I'm, I'm practically gone anyhow. You know, yeah, so.
1: I, I don't really know the, the fella, but I, the very first uh, league game, against Lee, she came out and said, this is a must win game for us. Like, I mean I was kind of gone that 's a nice bit of pressure right. to put on a team right <laughs> into February, of it. Yeah. yeah, you know he was like like he went on about it that this is this is a must win game, it have to win this, we have to stand up if we win this and I think they did actually win it, um, but to say what he said, I actually don 't know who he 's really pointing it at that because it 's a pretty young Westmead sure. team. like I mean, the only one I can think who 's been on the road there for Westmead for the last number of years is Glennon yeah. who 's mm-hmm. still probably pretty young Whether he was where he was labeling him but Glennon was never a player who you could go I'm going to hang my hat on him he's going to get me 1-6 yeah. every game he would he would turn it on when Westmead were going well you know but
6: he wasn't he might create 1-6 or 1-7 but he's not going to get you
1: no he's, and, and like I mean he was a you know he's a peripheral player well not a peripheral but I mean he was a corner forward coming off Desi Dolan or whatever it was you know playing off the other guy is Duffy midfield who I thought I mean but so it's it's a strange one Owen, and it's not something
0: uh, not to be recommended
1: well, he's, 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 if you're going to do it, you better at least make sure you're from the county, you know, so they'll give you a little bit of support. But if you're an outsider, I'd be very worried.
0: All right, lads, we'll let you go and enjoy the rest of your bank holiday. Thanks very much. Thanks, all Thanks, all. Thanks all.
3: Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clive Woodward, statisticians, dietitians. And as Mick O'Connell
4: alluded to, God save us.
0: Murphy, you have a little bit more on our pal Tom Cribbin there?
4: Well, uh, we were saying that Dennis Glennon would be one of those senior players that uh, Tom Cribbin would be directing his ire at. And uh, there's a little bit of history between the lads because this goes back to an O'Byrne Cup game. Uh, wow. The 5th of January 2015. <laughs> so it's been going on for a little while. but um, 5th of
0: January is not a time to start to arguing with managers or players.
4: Definitely not a time you want to start uh you know, an all-out hit. Uh, you don't want really to really go to the mattresses on the 5th of January after the O'Burn C- Cup game is basically what I'm trying to say here. Uh, but Dan of went off injured uh, uh, during Westmead's defeat to Mead in the O'Burn Cup. And uh, Cribbon said afterwards, I don't know how serious the injury is yet, but to me, it didn't look like he was switched on enough for such an experienced player. There were one or two balls, maybe he could have gone for a bit harder. A couple of passes were 70%. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan of felt compelled to come out a couple of days later and say that I'd actually been working until 6am as uh, in my work as a guard uh, the night before this game or the morning of this game right, so even
0: even making it to the game was would
4: probably have been a bit of a uh, would have been commendable yes so um, I think maybe relations might have cooled from <laughs> that point on uh, not on a good the, start to the year. on the 5th of January and then to have a Uh, A statement clarifying something that was said on the 5th of January coming out on the 7th of January suggests that perhaps a mountain might have been made out of a molehill there.
0: Last point on Kerry, and you outlined very well some of the differences, subtle differences in ways between the approaches of Kerry and Tyrone and the approaches of Dublin and Derry in the match the previous weekend. One other point, uh, clearly there are a lot of uh, skillful footballers, particularly in Dublin, but Kerry seemed to have they just seem to have this skill level, particularly in their forwards. They sort of point towards the end yesterday when they were in a little bit of trouble in the top left, cor- left, left corner forward mm. position, say. I think it could have been Cooper. I'm not, One of the players ended up booting a ball back it's actually 40 Darren years. O'Sullivan Darren O'Sullivan which yeah. looked completely unorthodox but it was a perfectly accurate pass or a couple of hand passes swung out to the right hand touchline and they are just moving all the time hitting perfect passes and moving the defence around eventually worked it to Anthony Marr, was it who bangs it over the bar so there are ways uh, as, as we've discussed of actually beating blanket defences but you do have to be quite skillful to do it yeah the better attacking teams can do it, but uh, you, you you worry when there are two teams that are limited enough. That's not the not game, that Dublin are limited, yeah, but... Yeah. That's the game,
4: though, isn't it? Yeah. The, yeah, you set up defences and good players will beat that defence. I mean, that's, a, that's sport. You know, teams that aren't as good as the other team will try and defend and yeah. and, and, and make the game and you, fight. And, and if you're good, you beat those teams. And it's
0: understandable for counties, for some of the lesser counties, to maybe try and implement a system that will... Take into account that they don't have players, the level of carry. But I think if you're looking at it from a coaching point of view, from the underage grades up, the challenge there is to coach your kids to be good enough, most comfortable enough on the ball by the time they become senior players that they then ha- there's flexibility in how they can approach a game. To be honest, and
4: beat teams I actually think you can coach that in senior teams. I mean, really? if you if you've got an intercounty footballer, he's capable of things, and you should just make sure that the abilities that he's able to show. At a, in a leisurely way at, at club games that you can uh, stroll around the place and hit passes 30, 40 yards. If you're an inter-county footballer you can do that. Wouldn't
0: say so there's one, that many teams though with say four, five, six, even 7 forwards like Kerry would have who are all yeah, as comfortable on the ball as are.
4: We're not really actually talking about forwards though. What you're talking about is wing-backs, centre-back, two midfielders who can kick, kick the ball 30, 40 yards. Not into a guy's chest, into space. Mm. That's what you're looking for. You're not looking for guys that can you know, under pressure, kick points over the bar, over their shoulder, like James who can do. What you're actually looking to do is have four or five players playing in the half back line in midfield that can kick the ball accurately 40 yards. And that is actually something that you can coach even at senior level, at inter county level. If you practice that enough, Cross McLean have been doing it for 15 years. And that's, you know, that's just the way it is. Cross can kick the ball 40 yards. That means they beat most of the teams they play. It's funny you mention that, because Aaron
0: Kernan was speaking over the last few days. I can't remember where I, I heard this, but I picked up the quotes that he <laughs> he was saying, look, people were always asking me, what, what's your secret? What are you guys doing? And he said, it's just so basic what we we're doing. We we're just training really hard at kick passing and at getting the ball to the field quickly and at being skillful and at all these really basic things. But apparently other clubs weren't weren't doing the same and seemed stunned by the fact that we could t- defend well and then transfer the ball so quickly up front. Ken, are you convinced by the argument Gaelic football is still alive? It's still a viable concern?
2: Um, yeah, I mean um, I <laughs> think these things are always alive and they go through trends which some people don't like and uh, they exaggerate to make it sound as though the trend is worse than it is but in fact it's it's all going to be fine.
0: It's all going to be fine. That's it from us. We'll leave it on that positive bank holiday, Easter bank holiday <laughs> note. Everything's going to be okay. Us, us
4: true Gales really appreciate those words.
0: Thanks, thanks Ken. Thanks, Owen. Thanks,
4: Karen. Thanks, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, many
0: for listening. You can check out irishtimes.com forward slash second captains for any of the previous shows that you may have missed for whatever reason. We'll talk, we we're putting a football podcast, as mentioned, out a little bit later on today. So we'll chat to you then.
2: That's the second time it's gone no? off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those 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 boys.